नमस्कार वेलकम टू वर्ल्ड न्यूज एंड इंडियन पर्सपेक्टिव ऑन ऑल इंडिया रेडियो दिस इज प्रशांत कुमार सिन्हा एंड विथ मी इज आर एस रघु ब्रिंगिंग ग्लिम्सेज ऑफ मेजर डिवेलपमेंट्स ऑफ द डे फ्रॉम अक्रॉस द ग्लोब ओवर द नेक्स्ट हाफ एन आवर वी शेल ब्रिंग यू द लेटेस्ट फ्रॉम द वर्ल्ड ऑफ पॉलिटिक्स इकोनॉमी स्पोर्ट्स एंटरटेनमेंट एंड मोर The headlines Prime Minister Narendra Modi to participate in the outreach session of G7 summit on Saturday and Sunday in virtual format G7 leaders to call for a new transparent investigation by the WHO into the origins of the coronavirus Nigerian government creates its account on Indian microblogging platform Ku Pakistan's National Assembly approves a bill allowing Indian national Kulbhushan Jadhav to appeal his conviction in the high courts European Union countries agree to cease to ease cross-border travel restrictions for vaccinated people and in French Open Rafael Nadal to face Novak Djokovic in second semi-finals. As many states are relaxing lockdown norms, we advise our listeners not to lower their guard as the COVID-19 pandemic remains a threat to our health. Please stay at home unless it's essential to go out and continue to follow the four simple steps. Wear a face mask, maintain two gaz ki duri for social distancing, focus on hand and face hygiene and get vaccinated. For any COVID related information and guidance contact national helpline numbers 0112397 and 1075 and now the news in detail Prime Minister Narendra Modi will participate in the outreach sessions of the G7 summit on the 12th and 13th of June in virtual format. Briefing media yesterday, External Affairs Ministry spokesperson Arindam Balchi said the UK currently holds the presidency of the G7 and has invited India along with South Korea and South Africa as guest countries for the G7 summit. The invitation of UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Prime Minister Shri Narendra Modi will participate in the outreach sessions of the G7 summit on 12th and 13th June in virtual format. UK currently holds the presidency of the G7 and has invited India along with Australia, Republic of Korea and South Africa as guest countries for the G7 summit. The meeting will be held in hybrid mode. This is the second time Prime Minister Modi will be participating in the G7. Leaders at the G7 summit in the UK will call for a new transparent investigation by the WHO into the origins of the coronavirus. According to a draft communique, the G7 countries will also pledge 1 billion doses of corona vaccine for countries around the world. The leaders of G7 states, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the UK and the US will gather in the British seaside resort of Cornwall for the 3-day summit beginning today. In their first back the call for further investigation on the 28th of May days after US President Joe Biden asked intelligence agencies to redouble their efforts to gather information to facilitate a definitive conclusion on the origin of the coronavirus The first summit at G7 is underway UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson in his opening statement said that the G7 should stop inequalities becoming entrenched after the covid pandemic He said that all governments had made mistakes in the handling of covid. He added that we need to make sure that we don't repeat some of the errors that we made in the course of the last 18 months or so. The UK PM said that spending on green energy initiatives would reduce inequality. He asserted that G7 has a huge opportunity as the group is united in the vision for a cleaner and greener world. 
He added that in green ideas and technologies, there is a potential to generate many, many millions of high-wage, high-skill jobs. Before the summit began, Britain said that G7 leaders will agree to expand global COVID vaccine manufacturing to provide at least 1 billion doses to the world through sharing and financing schemes. In today's hotspot section, we bring you a discussion on growing international demand and origins of COVID-19. Participants are Ashok Sajanhar, former ambassador and Nalova Roy Chaudhary, journalist. The COVID-19 pandemic has disrupted lives and livelihoods across the world for over a year now. Its death toll has crossed over 3 million worldwide. And yet the origin of this pandemic remains unclear and how this virus came into being. Political agendas of various countries and scientists have generated a thick cloud of opacity over this entire issue. So today we will be discussing the renewed calls, including by India, for a transparent and impartial probe into the origins of this virus, which has so ravaged the world. Ambassador Sajanhar will help us understand what lies behind these increasing calls for clarity. The virus that has caused the pandemic is known officially as SARS-CoV-2. There are two main theories about its origin. One is that it jumped naturally from wildlife to people. And the other is that the virus was under study in a lab from which it escaped. Now, there, it is unclear what the reality is. News reports today have suggested that the G7 leaders at their summit in Cornwall in Britain will be calling for a new probe into the origins of the coronavirus. And ahead of this summit of developed countries, India has said that it supports a follow-up inquiry by the World Health Organization. So, first of all, Ambassador, could you please explain why it is important to know the origins of the SARS COVID virus? I think it's very important to know the origin because that is the way that we will be able to deal with it, we'll be able to handle it. As you said, uh, the destruction caused by this virus is enormous. More than 3 million deaths and uh, how many lives uh, destroyed because the economies of all the 200 countries in the world, they have been very seriously impacted. The most important reason is, as you mentioned, that there are two explanations that are being uh, followed as to, you know, how did this virus come into being. One is that from the wet markets in Wuhan, it jumped to another animal and from there that host animal, it jumped onto the human being. That was one explanation that was in currency for quite some time. Now, if that is true, and if it is found that this explanation is the correct explanation, then the world will really have to see how to limit its interactions with wildlife because it is the wildlife that has created so much of death and destruction in the world. The other is that it found its way out of laboratory, that is the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And if that is the case, then of course we have to see as to how the security systems in such laboratories, there are about 23 such laboratories in the world, whether it is in the United States, in UK, in Russia, in India, in China. So what are the security systems that prevail there? And of course, uh, once we find the origin of the virus, we'll be able to see how to treat it and how also to avoid future pandemics. 
The final point I would mention here is that some people are saying, what is the purpose of finding the origin? Let us get on with finding the treatment and getting better vaccines. I don't think that is the right approach to follow because this would mean that there is no accountability to all the death and destruction in the world. And uh, some other countries or individuals or forces or groups would continue to do what they have been doing with impunity. And that should not be the case because uh, there should be a particular rule of law as far as the world is concerned. And if anyone has committed a mistake, there should definitely be retribution and punishment for that mistake. Right, absolutely. And, you know, as all of these variants, so-called variants uh, or mutations of the virus, have been receiving names from the Greek alphabet. You know, the WHO is called them Alpha, Beta, Delta, whatever. Now, isn't it a little strange that the original virus, which emerged from Wuhan, has not got a name? There's nothing to it. I mean, why do you think that is? This is something very, very mysterious as far as I'm concerned. Yes, Milova, I think the name that has been given is the scientific name, which is, as you mentioned right at the beginning, it is SARS-CoV-2. So I guess yeah. it goes under the name either COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2. Those are the scientific names. It doesn't have a name because it was decided sometime about 10 years ago by the WHO and all the member countries. If you name a virus after a particular country, then it tends to stigmatize that country. So it should be, the viruses should really be known by their scientific names. That is why you would recall that when new mutations or new strains and variants came into being, and initially they started to be called as the UK variant, the South Africa variant, the Brazilian variant, the Nigerian variant, and even the Indian variant. So then I think countries got in touch with the WHO and sensitized them that uh, this is going against the decision that had been taken earlier. And that is why now we have the names of these variants based on the Greek alphabet. So, for instance, you know, the P.1.617.2, which is the variant that uh, appeared first in India and has traveled all over the world. Now it is known as the Delta variant. No one refers to it as the India Delta variant or whatever. Either you refer to it by its scientific composition or you refer to it by this Greek alphabet. But, you know, there's one thing, Ashok, I mean, while the WHO did send this second team and they submitted a detailed report on March 31st, which was even reviewed, and uh, India has been among the foremost countries that have been saying very clearly that we support the need for a follow-up to the WHO report on the origin of COVID-19 and for further studies, and we have called for understanding and cooperation of all in this regard. Now, even the United States President Joe Biden has sought a kind of a 90-day time limit within which his uh, he has asked his government officials to try and find exactly what it was that happened. Now, the Chinese are, of course, very unhappy with all of this. But as you very rightly said, there has to be some accountability for this level of devastation that has been caused. And so why would the Chinese not be willing to support an open WHO probe? Because uh, circumstantially, it would appear that China has something to hide. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows that uh, the virus emanated. It emerged from the city of Wuhan in China. 
And hmm. if China had nothing to hide, then it would have been very open about it because it would have wanted to absolve itself of any guilt, of any wrongdoing. And so it should have welcomed the teams uh, from outside. But uh, we have seen what it has done. First, it tried to develop a narrative and tried to push forward a narrative that this was a virus that emerged from the wet market of Wuhan that it came mm. from the bats. Now, the bats are also located in caves which are about 1,500 kilometers from Wuhan in mm. Yunnan. So, you know, mm. how did the bats travel from there? And then they gave out the theory that uh, maybe from the bats, they traveled to another host, which is the pangolin. And from the mm. pangolin, they came to the human being. So this was the narrative that they were trying to peddle the whole of last year. You would remember mm. that when Australia tried to suggest that there should be an independent, impartial probe, then they mm. really came down very vehemently against Australia. And they not only threatened it, but also applied economic coercion so that China is the biggest uh, export market as far as Australia is concerned. And uh, yeah. China imposed uh, punitive tariffs on import of wheat, of barley, of beef, or wines, all these commodities, because it wanted to punish Australia and make an example out of Australia so that no other country would demand an independent uh, investigation. So this has been going on for the last one year, but as you said very correctly, that I think this theory of uh, it having emanated, emerged either accidentally or otherwise, from the Wuhan Institute of Virology has got a lot of strength over the last several weeks because uh, President Joe Biden has ordered an inquiry and told his intelligence officials that you have to find, uh, you have to go to the, into the depth of this and find out whether it emerged from the laboratory accidentally or was it done intentionally. And one of the reasons for this is, of course, this report had come even when uh, Mr. Trump was in office. But then the credibility of Mr. Trump and Mr. Pompeo was not very high. That is why when Mr. Trump said that it is uh, a Chinese virus, it has emerged from the lab, no one believed him. But the report was that even before the virus came into the open, in November of 2019, there were three researchers of the Wuhan Institute of Virology who were taken ill by a similar type of illness, pneumonia. And so mm -hmm. that means uh, that it could have the virus on which research was being done in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And the last mm -hmm. point I'd like to make here, uh, Nilova, is that the research which is known as the gain-of-function research, mm -hmm. which really means that there is research being done to make the viruses more virulent and more yeah. lethal so that uh, when they go into the human body, they can be much more destructive and damaging. So this was the research that was being done in uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And yeah. if this virus uh, escaped accidentally or otherwise, then that is how it has created this havoc and uh, devastation in the world. And so everything should be done to find out where the virus originally came from. So Prime Minister Narendra Modi will be participating in the outreach sessions of the G7 summit, which begins tomorrow, being hosted by 
Prime Minister Boris Johnson of Britain. Now, again, India is expected to convey its full support for this particular demand or request or whatever it is that you can call it by the G7 that is going to seek a comprehensive and an expert-led mechanism to probe this particular, the origins of this particular disease. Do you think that something like a G7 statement supported by its outreach partners is going to have a lot of impact, put China a bit on the back foot perhaps? I would think so because, you know, as you mentioned very correctly earlier also that uh, the WHO, the World Health Organization, had sent a team in January and February to China. Now, they stayed there for about a month or so. But as far as the Wuhan Institute of Virology is concerned, they spent only three hours there. They were not shared yeah. the documents. They were not shared the papers. They were not shared the samples. They were not shared the report. And in fact, they were kept uh, under quarantine for two weeks after they arrived in China. So I think the credibility of the World Health Organization has also been uh, questioned. It is also under a big question. Uh, mark because uh, right from the beginning the WHO was just uh, reading out all the reports that it was getting from China. For instance, last year when uh, this virus was raging on in China, on 14th of January 2020, Dr. Tedros, who's the Director General, he mm. said that there is no danger of human-to-human -human transmission. On 3rd of February, he said that there should be no restrictions on international travel and trade. While China had stopped the movement of its people from Wuhan to other parts of China. They were moving yeah. from Wuhan to all other parts of the world. So I think the credibility of the WHO is very low. So if the G7 were to come out with statement of this nature and supported by the other four outreach countries which are there, India, Australia, South Korea and South Africa, I think it will carry a lot of weight. So very much, Ambassador. This is a lot of food for thought. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Nigerian government created its account on Indian microblogging platform Koo days after the African country banned Twitter. Koo co-founder Aprameya Radhakrishna welcomed the government on board the platform. He said on Thursday that a very warm welcome to the official handle of the government of Nigeria on at Koo India. Nigeria on the 5th of June banned Twitter after the social media company deleted President Muhammadamu Buhari's tweet threatening to punish secessionists. He referred to the 1967-70 Nigerian civil war and to tweeting those misbehaving today in the language they will understand. The Nigerian government has said Twitter was allegedly being used to undermine Nigeria's corporate existence and to spread fake news. The opposition in the country has criticized the ban. The Indian alternative to Twitter, Coup, took up the opportunity and announced its plans to expand into the African country. Coup India is available in Nigeria. Krishna said on Twitter on Saturday that they are thinking of enabling the local languages there too. Chinese authorities have not given any response so far to the visa facilitation to Indians who have been inoculated with Chinese-made COVID-19 vaccines, despite announcements being made by its embassy in New Delhi on the 15th of March in this regard. Around 300 Indians who live and work in China but are currently in their home country have requested the Chinese embassy in New Delhi to issue them visas to return after they managed to get Chinese vaccines from a third country and are fulfilling other requirements. 
Meanwhile, Chinese-made vaccines are not yet approved in India. Also, China has not yet specified its stand on acknowledging the WHO-approved vaccines for cross-border travel. Around 20,000 Indian students enrolled in Chinese universities but stranded in their home country have also not been allowed to return to China because of the restrictions imposed on international travel related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Weibin said in Beijing, China provides convenience to incoming foreigners who have received Chinese vaccines but did not give details. He suggested contacting the Chinese embassy and consulates in India. Chinese embassy in New Delhi, however, has not responded so far to a query by Prasad Bharti, Beijing on this matter. Stranded Indians told Prasad Bharti that Beijing has not facilitated visas to those Indians who are staying in other countries and waiting for Chinese visas to return. Pakistan's National Assembly has approved a bill allowing Indian National Kulbhushan Jadav to appeal his conviction in the high courts of the country. The bill seeks to provide further right of review and reconsideration in giving effect to the judgment of the International Court of Justice. The bill was adopted by the National Assembly yesterday after approval from the 21-member Standing Committee. It has been named International Court of Justice Review and Reconsideration Act. The Pakistan government had bought an ordinance in the National Assembly earlier in view of the ICJ's ruling in the Kulbhushan Jadav case. The act will extend to the whole of Pakistan and shall come into force at once. According to the bill, the High Court has the power to review and reconsider where the ICJ in relation to a foreign national passes an order in respect of rights under the Vienna Convention of Consular Relations. The supreme sacrifice was made by Indian peacekeeper Sepoy Johnson Beck in the line of duty while serving in the UNDOF, United Nations Disengagement Observer Folk Mission. He was commemorated on the International Day of the United Nations Peacekeepers on 29th May 2020 and was posthumously awarded the prestigious Dag Hammarskjöld Medal. Counselor in India's permanent mission to the UN, Pratik Mathur has recalled the supreme sacrifice made by Indian peacekeeper Sepoy Johnson Beck. He said India can understand the critical link between safety and security and the performance of the peacekeeping personnel. Mr. Mathur also underscored that when assessing the performance of a mission, accountability of all stakeholders at all levels should be taken into account. This is All India Radio, giving you the world news. Three steps to stay protected and stay safe from COVID-19. Wear face mask, do gaz ki duri to maintain social distancing, maintain hand and face hygiene. Welcome back. India's active COVID caseload has further declined to 11,21,671. There has been a net decrease of 46,281 cases in the past 24 hours. According to the Health Ministry, India reported less than 1 lakh cases for the fourth day with 91,702 new cases in the past 24 hours. Recoveries continue to outnumber the daily new cases for the 29th consecutive day. The recovery rate improved to 94.93%. Ambassadors from the 27 EU member states today approved a modified European Commission proposal that people who have been fully vaccinated for 14 days should be able to travel freely from one EU country to another. Restrictions for other travellers should be based on the degree to which the country they are coming from has COVID-19 infections under control. 
Europe's drug regulator on Friday advised against using AstraZeneca's COVID-19 vaccine in people with a history of a rare bleeding condition and said it was looking into heart inflammation cases after inoculation with all coronavirus shots. The European Medicines Agency's EMA Safety Committee in its evaluation said that capillary leak syndrome must be added as a new side effect to labeling on AstraZeneca's vaccine. Last month, the EMA had advised against using the second AstraZeneca shot for people with clotting conditions. In the French Open tournament, world number no. 5 Stefano Tsitsipas of Greece entered his maiden Grand Slam singles final when he defeated Alexander Zverev of Germany from being 0-2 sets down in a semi-final match to clinch a nerve-wracking deciding set today. Fifth-seeded Tsitsipas won 6-3, 6-3, 4-6, 4-6, 6-3 and will face either 13-time champion Rafael Nadal or world number no. 1 Novak Djokovic in the championship match. With the win, Tsitsipas at the age of 22 became the first Greek star to reach the French Open final. With 40 day, 42 days to go for Tokyo Olympic Games, All India Radio today will talk about India's prominent woman archer Deepika Kumari. A report. Born in Ranchi, Jharkhand on June 13, 1994, Deepika has been the face of Indian archery for over a decade now. As a 16-year-old, she won two gold medals at the 2010 Commonwealth Games in Delhi and a bronze medal at the 2010 Asian Games in Guangzhou. Tokyo will be her third Olympics after being part of Indian team in the editions in London in 2012 and Rio de Janeiro in 2016. India has never won an Olympic medal in archery. The 26-year-old has been consistent in the international circuit, winning multiple medals at the Archery World Cup over the years and two silver medals at the World. The Sensex and the Nifty today logged modest gains to close all-time highs amid positive global queues. The Sensex closed near the 52,500 mark while the, while the Nifty settled around the 15,800 level. The rupee depreciated two paise against the U.S. currency and Brent crude's extended gains to a fresh multi-year high. A report from the business world. The Sensex at the Bombay Stock Exchange climbed 174 points, 0.33% to finish at 52,475. Nifty at the National Stock Exchange also surged 62 points, 0.39%, to close at 15,799. In global equity markets, the major Asian equity indices closed with gains. Experts suggested that rise in the U.S. Consumer Price Index reflected short-term adjustments related to the reopening of the economy. A fall in the U.S. bond yields to three-month lows also supported global stocks. However, China's Shanghai Composite Index fell 0.6%, Singapore's Strait Times slid 0.1%, and Japan's Nikkei 225 closed almost flat. South Korea's Kospi gained 0.8%, Hong Kong's Hang Seng added 0.4%, indices in Taiwan and Thailand also gained. European shares were trading up in intraday trade. Oil prices rose to fresh multi-year highs on expectations of a recovery in fuel demand. In intraday trade, Brent crude prices were trading around $72.80 per barrel. Back home, gold was trading almost flat at the multi-commodity exchange for August contracts in sync with flat gold prices in the international markets. 
Gold was trading at 49,200 rupees per 10 grams. However, silver prices gained 580 rupees to trade at 72,580 rupees per kilogram for July contracts when reports last came in. And in the foreign exchange market, the rupee weakened marginally by 2 paise to finish at 73 rupees and 8 paise against the US dollar. Arjun Chaudhary for World News. Now let us take a look at the major developments around the world. As reported in the foreign press, Washington Post says that Trump Justice Department secretly subpoenaed records of two Democrats on House Intelligence Committee. The Guardian reports Johnson rejects claim offer of 100 million COVID vaccine doses to poorer countries is too little. Gulf Times says EU advises against AstraZeneca shot in people with rare blood condition. Gulf Times writes at least 20 pilgrims die in Pakistan bus crash. Financial Times says G7 leaders to pledge 1 billion COVID-19 vaccine doses for poorer countries. Wall Street Journal highlights fresh COVID-19 outbreaks in Asia disrupt global shipping chip supply chain. A quick look, look at the headlines once again. Prime Minister Narendra Modi to participate in the outreach session of G7 summit on Saturday and Sunday in virtual format. G7 leaders to call for a new transparent investigation by WHO into the origins of the coronavirus. Nigerian government creates its account on Indian microblogging platform Koo. Pakistan's National Assembly approves the bill allowing Indian national Kulbhushan Jadav to appeal his conviction in the high courts. European Union countries agree to ease cross-border travel restrictions for vaccinated people. And in French Open, Stefano Tsitsipas of Greece enters finals of the French Open. Second semi-final between Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic underway. India is celebrating the 151st birth anniversary of Mahatma Gandhi. Before we end, let's listen to his favorite bhajan, Vaishnavajan, by artists from Finland. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow with the next edition of the World News.